This is Iron Mike Stedman, the host of Confessions of a Native Son, coming to you today with an announcement for a new podcast, Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive, or what I like to call the best podcast. The series is produced by my podcast production company, Ironbound Media, for the Center of Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development at Rutgers Business School, also known as CUTE. My podcast journey started with Confessions of a Native Son, and at the time, I never imagined I'd go on to build my own podcast production company. I have been extremely blessed as of late with both my ventures, Ironbound Media and Ironbound Boxing, and it's been amazing to have you all experience the journey with me. So for today, what I would like to do is play for you all the inaugural episode of The Best Podcast, where I interview Lanier Richardson, the executive director of CUDE, to discuss the importance of patient capital for black small business owners. As many of you know, my core purpose in life is to lift as I climb, as I have no desire to be the only person of color on any mountaintop. This is why when the opportunity to produce the best podcast came across my desk, I jumped at it and took the opportunity to host it myself. I love entrepreneurship, but more importantly, I love connecting the social capital I've built through the veteran community with those of black and brown entrepreneurs who don't have the same social capital as I do. So this project is very near and dear to my heart. Some of you might be wondering, how the heck am I able to host all these podcasts while running Ironbound Boxing and maintaining a personal life? The answer is simple. I love what I do and I batch content. Jim Collins wrote six books. Peter Drucker wrote nearly 39 books. And I'm carving out my own lane with podcasting. I've been recording best for a few months now, alongside Confessions of a Native Son and The Transition, as well as some of our other shows. Just know that life is good. I can't complain. And I'm just thankful that I'm in the position I am in now, creating inspiring and uplifting content for the culture. And if you don't know what the culture is, Google it. In all seriousness, though, I think podcasting is such a powerful and educational medium for the black community that I love it. And I'm excited to continue pushing the envelope for it through my own venture. So without further ado, I happily introduce to you all the best podcast. If you're an impact investor and believe in the power of patient capital to change lives, build communities, and create a more inclusive economy, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the best podcast, short for Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive. We share the impact of patient capital when combined with the grit, resilience, and determination of Black entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, founder and CEO of Ironbound Boxing and Ironbound Media, both based in Newark, New Jersey, where I have a passion for all things social impact, economic development, and community empowerment. On this inaugural episode of The Best Podcast, I'm joined by Lanier Richardson, Executive Director of the Rutgers Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development, short for CUDE, where he provides strategic leadership and annual fundraising for research and community-oriented small business capacity building programs. Lanier is a champion for patient capital, and earlier this year, Lanier and CUDE, with financial support secured from M&T Bank and the Certina Foundation, established the NJ Best Patient Capital Fund which will deploy between $250,000 and $500,000 of non-dilutive capital, specifically recoverable grants between $25,000 and $50,000 to provide patient capital to black entrepreneurs. 
On this episode, Lanier and I discuss the best fund and the importance of patient capital for black entrepreneurs. Before you hear from Lanier and I, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter for the best podcast at the link in your show notes. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories. We appreciate you tuning in with us today and hope you enjoy the following episode. Lanier, welcome to the best podcast. Good morning. I'm uh, pleased to be here and pleased to be a part of this movement. You're the one leading it, and I'm uh, super excited to have you here for our audience. And uh, just to kind of introduce everyone to who you are and uh, what's what led us here today, I would love if you would just go ahead and uh, speak to our, our audience. Sure. I am Lanier Richardson. Uh, I have uh, many roles, but one goal, right, to uh, get more resources to Black entrepreneurs and strengthen our communities. Uh, I lead the Rutgers Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development. I'm a professor of practice in the business school, uh, and I teach MBA students how to see opportunity in ethnic, urban, uh, historically, you know, under-resourced and uh, discriminated against areas and people. Uh, And my goal is to help people see value and opportunity in people and places that other people overlook undervalue. That's really what I get passionate about. I also lead a social enterprise that uh, invest in real estate and helps people of color own commercial real estate in their communities. Where does that passion come from? You know, a long history of entrepreneurship in our family. My father uh, and mother have been entrepreneurs for well over 43 years. Uh, my brother is entrepreneurial. My kids are entrepreneurial. We talked about entrepreneurship at the dinner table every night. Uh, we cleaned up the parking lot. I was guest DJ, closed down the bar, counted the money. We got a full entrepreneurial experience, and it's just in our blood. You know, just to set the tone for our listeners, you know, Lanier is the, uh, how do I describe this, the architect of the best podcast. Um, He thought it would be a good idea to go out here and get these stories about patient capital and uh, really um, engage the community the lending community, the, imp- the impact investing community to let everyone know how important it is for black entrepreneurs to have access to patient capital. But one of the things that's always impressed me about you, Lanier, is, you know, as a young social entrepreneur, you've got a lot of content that goes back, you know, 10, 15 years of you walking the beat in Newark, interviewing small business owners and really just uh, being the champion for the small business community. And so, you know, on the other side of this pandemic, Obviously, uh, you know, black entrepreneurs have undergone, uh, how do I say this, severe challenges from an economic, from a social perspective. And now you're paving the way again, both with content and establishing a fund. No, I appreciate that. So, you know, my core belief is that there are black owned businesses, small businesses, consumer facing businesses in our community that are essential and vital and, you know, to the vitality and the stability of our neighborhoods, right? And so my focus has been, you know, getting resources to those entrepreneurs. They serve as anchors in our community. They generate foot traffic. Uh, They contribute to the little league team and the local politics. They create local jobs. They, you know, reinvest into civic life. They 
some of their businesses are gathering places where we go to celebrate or, uh, you know, to express sympathy. You know, they black owned businesses foster identity and community pride. And I remember once hearing something that some businesses are too big to fail. And even though these are small businesses and we're focused in New Jersey here, I think there's some black businesses that are so essential and, vi- and, you know, and vital to our communities that they're too small to fail and we got to get capital, patient capital, flexible capital, you know, to help them survive, be resilient, continue to dream and continue to, you know, survive uh, and thrive in our community. So the best fund is Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive Fund, this capital. Uh, and I really focused on connecting entrepreneurs to capital. So there's been a lot of talk about getting capital to black entrepreneurs. What separates the best fund from a lot of other different uh, social impact investing funds out there? So, you know, we made the case at Rutgers that um, there's a whole continuum of capital. There is grant funding. There is angel funding. There is seed A rounds of private equity. There's venture capital. There's bank debt. But I believe that there is still a little niche where there is um, almost a pre-seed round of capital. Uh, and for black entrepreneurs, that that pre-seed or that uh, friendly capital, friendly patient capital is something that uh, the best fund is really focused on. It really is almost institutionalizing the friends and family round. People always say, oh, you should talk to your friends and family. Oh, you're having a problem with your business. Oh, you're trying to get idea off the ground. You know, friends and family round. Go to your friends and family round. And I always remember that when I was in not only starting my business, but when my first business was experiencing such a hard period, I went around to my friends and family. And I got sort of a round of applause or I got a round of sympathy, but they didn't really have the capital to take the risk to help me sort of survive and recover. And that's what is the fuel that's, uh, you know, driving uh, our work with the the angel fund. I mean, with the um, the best fund here It really is complimenting our angel fund, complimenting stuff that we do with banks. But it's zero percent interest capital that I made the argument to people who are philanthropically motivated that want to be impact investors that, hey, if you provided this capital, instead of just grants to social missions and all of that's important, grants to civil rights organization, that's important, that if you provided, you know, 0% capital to black entrepreneurs, they would implement a program, they would survive, they would be profitable, and they'd be able to get their mo- get your money back. And that's the thesis that I'm trying to prove up, that if we had a friendly round of capital that says, I don't need to own your business. I don't need to have 50 percent. I don't need 20 percent return. I don't need five points of interest up front. You don't have to hire me as a consultant. But if you could help you know, us get you know, zero percent capital to a good idea. So it's I you know it's part of our work is getting a you know, making sure that there's a good idea and a business model that says, you know, if we're, you know, if we do what we say we're going to do, we got a 70, 80 percent chance of being able to get the money back and we're going to work hard at it every day that, you know, those people will appreciate them, you know, will appreciate the opportunity. And it's another way to 
to support community development and support entrepreneurship. One of the things I've always appreciated about your work with the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development at Rutgers and both with the both with the platform we're building here with BEST is the emphasis on small business ownership. And a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've interviewed for this series, a lot of entrepreneurs that have applied to the BEST Fund, you know, these are not tech startups. You know, these are small businesses uh, in the local community. And when you talk about angel investing, a lot of times they're looking for that 10x return. Right. Same thing with venture capital, uh, that 10x, 100x return. So how has it been for you to make the case that, hey, we need to get capital to these small businesses? And have you experienced any pushback with that? Yeah, you know, obviously it's sexy to talk about unicorns and zebras and, you know, and the big promise of tech startups. And there's a place for that. And part of our work at our center is, you know, driving innovation and helping people get tech startups off the ground. And we all are hoping that, you know, one of those unicorns that becomes a billion dollar company will come out of our center. But what I know is uh, the importance of the folks who are, you know, everyday entrepreneurs, right? The people that, you know, a big for, per, big passion that I currently have is helping entrepreneurs just get to a million dollars a year of annual recurring revenue. That a million dollars a year is not the end all be all, but it's typically uh, a place where an entrepreneur can you know, have more, one or more employees can, you know, that's some owner's comp so he can support his family. Um, you know, it's proof of concept, customer validation, all of that stuff. And, you know, my dad sent us both to college and we owned a house and, you know, and it was from that little small business that, you know, again, this is 30 years ago, wasn't generating a million dollars, but it was, you know, he led the boys club annual picnic Right. And, you know, he made sure that, you know, there were local jobs in our community. And so that's what I'm really focused on with this program. As I said, it's a it's not either or it's just and they're entrepreneurs who are feeding families and important to our communities that, you know, may not ever be generate more than a million or two million or three million dollars. But they're important to our communities and we got to get funding to keep them open and keep them thriving. Talk to us a little bit about some of the partners that you've been able to organize uh, for the Best Fund. No, what's very cool is, you know, we have um, local partners and national partners, and we are looking for more partners. So the uh, the idea for the Best Fund and the early investors included big foundations, and, and uh, we're very excited in New Jersey to have uh, a partnership with uh, M&T Bank that provided a small, uh, you know, uh, check that allows us to uh, implement a pilot program. Certain um, the foundation provided a small check that allowed us to implement a pilot program. The Rockefeller Foundation invested in the idea. So, you know, it's like everything else. I am grateful, you know, we have between those foundations in terms of capital, probably $300,000 or so. I wish we had $3 million. I wish we had $30 million for this type of work. But I think as we prove it up, as over the course of this podcast, as you hear the stories of, uh, of resilience, as you, you know, the listeners and the people in the, uh, that spend time with the podcast understand the passion and the drive of these entrepreneurs, I'm hoping that individuals, 
that other banks, that other corporate partners, that other philanthropic partners, that just, you know, folks who want to, individuals who want to make a difference and have, you know, flexible capital, um, you know, will we'll join the fund and, and will help support these entrepreneurs going forward. I think one thing that's important to talk about is, you know, in the aftermath of George Floyd's death and the racial uprising that took place all across the country uh, last year, there were a lot of pledges made by corporate America to support black entrepreneurs. And one of the things that, you know, people are starting to find out is a lot of those pledges are either dying off or a lot of people within the local community or black entrepreneurs themselves. Some haven't seen the, how do I say this? Uh, haven't seen the results yet. And so I would love you to kind of speak about that because I know you've been collecting some survey information and just making sure that, you know, we're, if people are making pledges to support entrepreneurs, you know, we've got programs and funds for them to do so, but they've got to also make sure that they follow through. Yeah. And at this point, we're, we are doing some um, really cool research and it's really more perception. Like I want to make sure that people a are aware of the big commitments that the corporations have, have made. Um, you know, I'm trying to get a sense of do people believe the corporations will follow through on their commitments? And then we ask a very simple question. Do you know a black entrepreneur or a black led economic development organization that actually has gotten capital? Right. And so my hope is, you know, whatever the results of that, I'm, I'm sure there are going to be some companies that get high results and there's some uh, companies that will get you know low results. But I, what I hope is to have an honest conversation, not PR spin, um, and, you know, and not, you know, defense and, you know, attacks. It The goal is to say, hey, there are black entrepreneurs out here. There's vehicles and vessels to support them. And if there's, you know, 50, 60 billion dollars of announced commitments and certainly 50 or 60 billion dollars of other capacity to be able to support entrepreneurs, you know, I think our work is to connect the dots, right? That's what I've been doing my entire career is figuring out how to connect the entrepreneur in the community to big corporate who's saying, I want to do something, but can't, can't figure out a way. Again, I think our best program is, is one way, but there are other people doing good stuff all around the country. In Chicago, there's something they just rebranded themselves as Greenwood Archer Capital. They're, you know, quote unquote, funding equity. There's some friends who are doing revenue-based financing for Black-owned businesses uh, in North Carolina, the Community Equity Fund. There are folks in New York that have special purpose vehicle loan programs and grants. So again, it's not either or. It's what can we do? How do we direct, galvanize, you know, connect resources to um to black entrepreneurs to help, to help build our communities and to help create wealth, right? Wealth, you've heard me say this a thousand times, Mike, wealth is created by owning assets, assets that generate revenue and assets that can appreciate over time. And whether that is a business that can be passed on or real estate that you generate some revenue from and you can be passed on or stock or licensing, it's that's how we close the racial wealth gap is you help. We're helping more people of color own assets. Um, that's how you get generational, what intergenerational wealth. Like, you know, these things are becoming buzzwords now. And I just want to make sure that, hey, I know somebody black that got 
uh, some investment in their business from the announced corporate you know, commitments following the civil unrest of 2020 uh, that hopefully will close the racial wealth gap and hopefully will generate intergenerational wealth. You know, that's the goal. You're right. There are a lot of buzzwords. Like you yeah. say, generational wealth, access to capital, all of these things. Right. But again, people like yourself have been carrying this flag well before George Floyd, be carrying it well after. And one of the things that I think you identified was this concept of a hive, which is a high impact vital enterprise. I would love for you to talk to our listeners about what we risk losing, letting some of these anchor businesses black owned within states like New Jersey if they go under and what that sets for the rest of the community. Yeah. So, you know, a high impact vital enterprise, we call it, you know, hive, right? As our, as our, you know, sort of, you know, the way we refer to these business owners, uh, that they're important to community. Uh, again, you know, for since, you know, before the civil rights movement, going way back to Black Wall Street, going back to, uh, you know, right after um, the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, black business owners, black entrepreneurs have been, you know, essential backbone to the progress of not only, you know, sort of the black race, but of community, right? Of so much of the resilience, so much of our story uh, uh, progress is, um, is, is, is generated and is rooted in uh, business ownership and entrepreneurship. And so, again, I know when I reflect back on growing up, there was a diner on the corner that we went to uh, for breakfast on Saturdays and Sundays or after church. Right? And that place was a place where we went to talk about family issues. We'd see local politicians. We'd see business people. We see you sitting at the breakfast, you know, at the breakfast counter order, ordering a bacon and egg sandwich. Right. I know the importance now of uh, we invested in a black owned co-working and coffee shop um, space. Right. Where it's helping the next generation of entrepreneurs get at connected to resources and mentors and inspiration from each other. Right. Um, and, you know, I, we invested in Newark in a company um, where there's an incredible story, Mike, and I believe you're going to have an opportunity to talk to um, the owner of Bricks for Kids, where, you know, a vision to bring STEM education to after school and weekend programming as a business to people of color in the neighborhood, in Newark. Uh, and, and again, you're going to hear our story of resilience of how she's, you know, battled starting her business and growing her business and then being shut down by COVID and, you know, uh, dealing with personal issues uh, and tragedy. And, you know, that the spirit of black entrepreneur newership is, is so evident and reflected. And, and I get inspired by stories like that. And I, and again, that's what that's the that's the definition of Hive is places that you don't think, you know, if it was Amazon, you're like, oh, Amazon's coming or oh, Google's coming to our corporate or Panasonic is going to build a new headquarters. Right. And so we got to marshal all of our resources and tax incentives. But I want to marshal our resources and tax incentives and pay show patient capital for Randall and Keisha, you know, and, and, you know, and Tamara, right. And, and, you know, the, the everyday entrepreneurs who we can see and touch uh, and be inspired by. 
Now, one of the things we know is that prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, I think 2.6% of businesses were black owned. 40% of those businesses stopped generating revenue when the pandemic hit. And so you talk about a cash crunch situation. And so one of the things that you're doing with the best fund, though, is patient capital. This is not free money, right? They have to pay it back at 0% interest. So how are you de-risking the loans for the uh, investing community, the lending community? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've made this argument. I made two arguments. Or here's, well, here's the thesis, right, that um, there's a role for trusted uh, intermediaries. And I'm using our Rutgers Center for Urban Entrepreneurship. That's what I lead. But there are other people as well, right? In the past, what those intermediaries have done is provide training, coaching, mentorship, technical assistance, right? But what I started to feel like is all that training, technical assistance, coaching without any capital is like workforce development training without a job. And so what I wanted to focus on is helping the intermediaries who are trusted help get pre-seed stage capital to these entrepreneurs. And in addition to coaching, shaping a business plan, creating a strategy, I call it the narrative and the numbers. Here's the narrative of what the company is. Here's what they would do with patient capital. And here's the numbers of how they'll get the capital back. Right? And so the goal is, and I don't know what, what the results will be yet. I made the argument that seven or maybe eight out of Black-owned businesses will survive and will be able to pay the capital back. To some people, that's a high default rate, right? You know, if you look at traditional bank lending or even our community development financial institutions, CDFIs, right? They're supposed to make cap more capital available. Well, you know, they're saying, you know, they take pride. Well, we've only had a 5% default rate or 7% default rate. Well, I just think if that's the case, you know, we need to do something different. We need to take more risk on our entrepreneurs and we need to expect that there might be higher default rate. But our goal is to work with the entrepreneurs to create the investment case and the story and realize, you know, the majority of them are going to win and some of them are not going to not going to succeed. But we should have the confidence and given the, all of the capital and all of the success and all of the privilege that so many people who really want to support us have, um, we should take more risk. We should do capitalism differently. We should define risk differently. We should measure return on investment differently. That's what we're trying to champion right now. So is it safe to say that one of the, the things that you think the lending community is doing wrong currently is they're not taking enough risk on black entrepreneurs? They want that sure bet. I do. And again, it's, it's, you know, I've been asking myself a lot and asking people who support our work and want to support black entrepreneurs to think about this question. What systemic changes need to be made to strengthen uh, economic development in black communities? What systemic changes need to be made to get more capital to black entrepreneurship? Right? And so it's a systemic change. So right now, the banking system has created a system that says, here's risk. Here's what we need to make a loan. Here's the four C's of credit. 
Um, and so all of those systemic uh, definition and requirement right now, you know, don't work in favor of small black local entrepreneurship. And they all need a tweak. I'm not saying we got to dismantle that, right? I'm not, you know, I'm not defund the banks or, you know, any of that stuff. I'm saying, what's the tweak? What's the change, right? That allows us to take more risk and to see what the outcomes will be, right? We are defining outcomes based on stuff that happened 30, 40, 50 years ago where there's a new reality now. There's intelligent entrepreneurs. There's entrepreneurs who have corporate experience and, you know, um, you know, real life experiences that I believe, you know, will are not being properly measured in the risk return, you know, context. And that, you know, again, there's so folks, there's so many people that have had so, so much incredible privilege, whether it's young people who are trust fund, you know, uh, beneficiaries, whether it's big corporations who've been phenomenally profitable, you know, since, you know, the 2008 recession, you know, whether it's government that's now getting a, a slew of resources through funding, um, you know, uh, well, let's let's allocate some of that funding. Let's invest some of that privilege into black entrepreneurs and see if our communities get better, see if crime is reduced, see if more people of color will own property. We'll see if we'll get more people of color going to college or creating, you know, different career paths. Let's just do something different, right? If we keep doing what we've always done, we're going to get what we always got. And we're going to be right back here in another period of civil unrest, 10 years or 20 years from now saying, well, we got to do something. Well, let's, let's try something different now. I think it's important for our listeners to know too, all of the guests that you've heard on this podcast thus far are some of the best and brightest of the black entrepreneur community in the state of New Jersey. Some have MBAs, You know, they've been in business for 20 years. So when you talk about de-risk, it's like people started in the basement of a church and then were able to build businesses and scale them across the state. And so, you know, if these are the entrepreneurs that are getting denied access to capital, what does that say for the rest of the community? And man, let me just add on to that. I mean, and I felt like this myself. Again, I've been an entrepreneur for well over 30 years now. And I have bought companies, I started companies, I bought property, always undercapitalized, never really having great access to capital. I've benefited recently in having more access to capital and very thankful for that. But I know a thousand entrepreneurs with the same story as mine, or even not, you know, not as much resources, uh, access to resources that I have. And we created things from nothing. So I always ask myself, you know, if I'm able to, you know, I, I bought a shopping center recently. If I'm able to buy, a, you know, a $6 million shopping center with no capital, what if I had some capital, right? What if I really had the access, right? And I know uh, I'm not making an advocate. Uh, it, I, the purpose of this program is not for me to raise my capital. I do that in other venues, right? But the, the, the purpose is that all these entrepreneurs who are keeping businesses open, who are sending kids to college, who are doing community development, who are owning businesses, who are participating on the local zoning board, uh, you know, who support the little league team, who create jobs, who are feeding their family, who are making an honest living. 
And they're doing that, you know, with entrepreneurial innovation, otherwise known as duct tape and robbing Peter to pay Paul and, you know, um, you know, managing cash and, you know, uh, figuring it out. And we know what figuring it out really means. And so if we can help folks get friendly capital, again, not hostile capital, not extractive capital. Right. And I know what that's like as well. People on this call know what hostile and extractive capital about. And it's offensive. You know, if, that's when I want to fight when someone comes to me and, you know, say, well, yeah, I give entrepreneur capital, but I need uh, three points just to make the introduction. Right. And then I need 20 percent of the company forever. And then I need an 8 percent preferred return before the entrepreneur gets anything. And then I need guarantee so that if it doesn't work, I want to be able to foreclose on their house. Well, to me, that's hostile. And I think there's opportunity to do capitalism differently. But I, again, don't get me fired up, Mike, as you see you are. Uh, I can get fired up about this topic very quickly. So, Lanier, we've got listeners tuning in from all over the country, all over the world, impact investors, lenders, and those that are looking just to support black entrepreneurs. What closing remarks would you like to leave them with? And also, how can they support the work we're doing here at best? Yes. So this is an important moment in time, but I also hopefully it's a movement. So it's not just a period where we'll move on to something else. It is critically important to support entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs who are essential to the vitality and the continued economic vibrancy of our community. And so we are focused on identifying philanthropically motivated impact investors. I know that there are other private capital providers and equity capital providers, and there are other programs and opportunities for them. But what we want and we need is other folks who want to use their wealth to help other people of colors, other people of color, other entrepreneurs of color, other black entrepreneurs create wealth and strengthen their communities. Every uh, dollar that's invested in the best fund goes to support the entrepreneurs. We're at Rutgers Business School. So our most of our administrative and our operating costs associated with the best program are covered through other philanthropic sources and through the university's contribution. So if you have $1,000 or $5,000 or $50,000 or a million dollars that you'd like to see help black entrepreneurs, uh, we have a vehicle, we have a program, we have a rigor, we have impact in reporting, uh, we have some great entrepreneurial stories. So please, uh, I'm Lanier Richardson. I'm at the Rutgers Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development. Uh, our website is you know, Rutgers Q. Uh, just Google it. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn as Lanier Richardson. Any way you can reach us, I'll make sure uh, to connect these entrepreneurs of color to capital and uh, make sure that you're acknowledged in any way that you'd like to be acknowledged. Uh, but more importantly, make sure that you get a report on the impact that your dollars might 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 help black entrepreneurs achieve. Well, Lanier, I appreciate you for joining us today. Thank you for bringing this series and this fun to life. And for all our listeners out there, do us a favor and subscribe to the best podcast on Substack, our newsletters for the series at the link in the show notes. 
You can also listen to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite listening service. We'd greatly appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories. To learn more about the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development at Rutgers Business School, visit www.business.rutgers.edu slash cued. That's C-U-E-E-D. Also, you can click the link for cued at the link in the show notes. Until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.